you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. And as you're turning there, this is the introduction to the introduction. I uh, was able to spend a little bit of time yesterday with a ministry friend that I hadn't seen in quite some time. And he asked where I was preaching. And I told him that we were in Genesis 21. And he's like, weren't you in Genesis the last time I saw you, like eight months ago? Yes, we were. And we'll be there for a little while longer. But I hope you've been encouraged by our time in Genesis. So this morning, I'm going to read in preparation of the sermon, verses 1 through 7 of Genesis chapter 21. And if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, stand as I read Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. In our time this morning in Genesis 21, we're going to see the promised son. The one whom since Genesis 12 has continued to be the future one who would come. Now here in Genesis 21, he is come. So this morning, our title of our sermon is, Unto Us a Child is Born. You may think it's April. You can't do a Christmas-titled sermon in April. Yes, I can. Because I do the bulletin. Unto us a son is born. I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus this morning, but I want to be very cautious in that we don't jump from the immediate historical context of which Genesis 21 finds us in. Because we could quickly find Jesus very easily as a offspring, or as Paul says in Galatians, the offspring, the seed of faith. But yet I want us to sit and linger and see how these promises that have been given by God since Genesis chapter 12 flesh themselves out here in Genesis 21. That as a blessing to the nations would Abraham's offspring be, we see in very small form those things coming to fruition with the birth of Isaac. And it happens to be that it had to happen through Isaac. That these promises come through Isaac. And we saw last week, we talked about the providence of God in being able to plan and and accomplish His plan from the beginning. 
that he holds the king's heart in his hands like streams. He moves him in whichever way he pleases. And here we see in this very, these very first two verses of Genesis 21, God does exactly what he says he's going to do, and he did exactly as he promised. How does he do so? Through the birth of a son. We saw glimpses of it, that there would be an offspring born to Abraham and to Sarah. And we saw some, some kind of detours, right? Where Abram and Sarai thought, this ain't going to happen. We've, we've got to figure out a way to, to get this to I'm I'm probably 80 plus at the time. There's no way this is going to happen. I wanted to do some research to see what uh, each year's oldest woman who's given birth would be. But that seemed like a really weird thing to Google search. (laughs) But I remember a news story not long ago of a lady by the name of Maggie. And Maggie was in her mid-60s, and she bore a child. And I remember the news anchors were somewhat in awe, and they clearly had no way to talk about it in a way that wasn't weird. So they said, that's great. Yet here, the arrival of this son, born to Sarah in her old age, is rejoiced. Think about the immediate context of barren Sarah. We were first introduced to her at the end of Genesis chapter 11 in the genealogy of Abraham's line. And there's important credence given that Sarah was even included. Abraham, the, or Abram, the son of Terah, and his wife, Sarai, who is barren. That's a weird place to put someone in a genealogy with a barren wife. Yet we've received these foretastes that God was going to do something greater than had ever been seen to that point, that he was going to fulfill Genesis 3.15 through Isaac. And not only through Isaac, but through Jacob and through others and others. I'd encourage you to go to Matthew's genealogy of Christ. To look and see all of the relatives that point us to Christ. They come from Abraham. They come from Isaac. So Isaac serves as a bridge to the promised one who would come. So here Abraham and Sarah are barren in their old age. Scripture records Moses' words that Abraham is a hundred years old old. This doesn't take Sarah by surprise. She may not have expected these things to happen in this way, but just as she was at the message of the angels, she laughs again and says, not only am I laughing, but all who hear of this will laugh over me as well. For her mourning has turned to joy at the arrival of this son that her barren womb by the providential hand of God has been opened because he said it would. What he has promised, he will hold true. 
just as we're reminded, God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. That in this sense, this promised child is the fulfillment that will bridge to the promised son from Genesis 3.15. This barren woman is not the last we will hear in the lineage of Christ. We'll continue to see time and again barren Ruth, the Moabitess, who is unable to have children until she marries Boaz. Then we'll see again, we'll see barrenness. We'll see the arrival of the expected son, Jesus Christ, comes through unexpected means and that the Virgin Mary would conceive I was listening to a podcast by the name of Bible Talk. I'd encourage it to you. It's, it's, it goes much deeper than what uh, we do in our 30 to 40 minutes, uh, sometimes 50 minutes. Uh, but it goes deeply into these things, and they point out that uh, where the New Testament starts is precisely where anyone who's read their Old Testament scripture would have thought that it starts in the temple with a barren woman. What an amazing reality that this is how the promised son will come. People will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The story continues to show what seemingly are somewhat disconnected. But they're not as we go back and we think about some of the consequences of sin. I'm reminded daily of what my 8th grade and ninth grade and 10th grade Sunday school. He was the same, it was the same teacher every year. And he continued to reiterate it because as we, as middle school and high school guys needed to know, choices have consequences. That the choices that Abram and Sarai made to take this plan into their own hands didn't just go away lightly, but the story turns and there is enmity Where did we see it before? We saw enmity between Sarai and Hagar, her maiden. Now we see enmity between the half-son of Abraham and the son of Ishmael and Isaac. And Sarah picks up on this. And again, we see her go to Abraham and tell Abraham, you've got to send this child away. There are consequences to these repercussions. There are consequences to their actions. And Abraham once again says, do what you say to do. And they're sent off, and we would expect that the story would kind of end right there. They are sent out from the household of the blessed man to then receive a curse. The enmity shown between Ishmael and Isaac should be a reminder from Genesis 12 that those who bless you, Abraham, and your offspring will be blessed. Those who curse you, Abraham, will be cursed. 
We would expect the end to have been dismissed at Ishmael and Hagar's departure, but we see God stepping in in ways that we might say, you really didn't need to do that. But again, just as Abraham is remembered when God looks upon Sodom and Gomorrah and relieves and and allows Lot to be able to separate, so too is it through the association that they have with Abraham that Hagar and Ishmael receive grace and preservation. They're sent out with a water skin in the desert. This is not a scene that any of us, without any type of survival training, would like to embark on. And if you're sitting there and saying, no, that'd be fun, okay, why haven't you done that yet? This is not a fun scene, and it ends with Hagar being a peculiarly narrative uh, phrase away from her son. She sits about a bow shot away from Ishmael so as to not see his death. What a weird way to communicate distance. But later we'll see that this boy will grow up. Verse 20, he lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with what? A bow. This is not the end of Ishmael's story, but it is a reminder of the departure from the people of God. That Ishmael will will receive a blessing that was shown to us earlier in Genesis. He will become a great nation. To the point of which, when Joseph is sold into slavery, he's sold into slavery to Ishmaelites. That in some ways, these cursed people will become a curse for God's people. That Joseph will be sold into slavery of the slave's son. Sin has consequences. So, in light of this, what ought that to teach us? In light of Christ's coming and the birth of the Son, what might that teach us that our sin is at enmity or at odds with God's plan? Sin cannot dwell, as John writes, amongst righteousness. God can have no dealing with unfaithfulness. So, brother and sister in the pew, if there is sin among you, send it out. Place it upon Christ. Walk in holiness and purity with Him. Christ has come. He has stood outside the camp to take your afflictions, to take my afflictions. That when we seek to hold those things in, we are at odds and at enmity with God's plan. Not only do we see now through the birth of Isaac the sending out of Ishmael and Hagar, we also see a treaty with a character in whom we just saw in our previous chapter. 
Remember, we got that nice little, uh, almost as if we'd rewound the VHS tape and we're back in the same story again where Abraham ends up saying, ah, that's my sister. Who did he do that to? He did that to Abimelech and to his nation. But here, at the arrival of Isaac, the promised son, Abimelech comes and seeks to even more make right, to make peace, to bless Abraham. We ended off in Genesis chapter 20 that Abimelech came and he blessed Abraham. And then he blessed Sarah by attesting through the silver that she was pure, that they had no relations whatsoever. Yet here in verses 22 through 34, we see again Abimelech coming to seek restoration with Abraham. What an amazing reminder that when we are walking with God, even pagan kings will go and seek the hand and the favor of God's anointed. Let me read verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. What have we seen? We've seen the progression of Genesis 12's promise with Abraham. The seed of the woman will be a blessing to all nations. What do we see here? Abimelech sees that God's hand is on Abraham, and he wants to be a part of it. He doesn't just say, deal kindly with me. He says, all my family, all my household, all all my generations as well, deal kindly with them. For God is with you in all that you do. And then in verses 25 and 34, Abraham brings up the uh, Abimelech's ancestors or some citizens there in Abimelech's kingdom that have shut off a, a well of Abraham's. And Abimelech seeks to again make restoration to where this uh, this well will return back to. And he says, I didn't know about it. Until today, until you said it. And so we'll, we'll do what we need to do. And the story concludes in verse 33 and 34 that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham so- sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. We've come to the fulfillment of the promise. Or have we? Because my Bible doesn't stop at the end of Genesis 21, but rather it keeps going. We'll see that in Genesis 22, there is an act of faith where God is asking Abraham, would you give up the one thing that in your age of 100 years old, Would you give that to me? 
Then we see continued generations after Isaac leading to Jesus. This continued genealogy goes on to us. Those who, just as Abraham, believe God and the promises that he has made to us in his Son. We're reminded through Paul's letters that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be adopted into the family of God. And therefore, the blessings that started with Abraham and his offspring have traced themselves through Jesus. We ought to be a blessing as well. So, brothers and sisters, have we trusted these things? Have we seen the goodness of God in revealing himself, in covenanting to us, Sinners, unholy, unworthy of his kindness, that he would even communicate with us. Much less save wretches like us. I think there were a time where we would not like to talk to ourselves about being wretches. But here we are. We can look back on our sinful state and sometimes even look on our current state and continue to give these things to Christ. But we would say, what grace to save a sinner wretched as I. This is the truthfulness of the gospel. That the seed of the blessing that is sprouting in Isaac grows into a full tree to the fullness and richness of which God intended in Christ. So when we look to Isaac coming from this barren woman and the hundred-year-old man, and anyone who would see it would laugh, we ought to look at our salvation in the same light. God saved you? God redeemed you? We might answer to the world, I don't get it either. Maybe we're looking in the mirror and we're saying, God saved me? God saved me? If you have called out, turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, you ought to say yes. I don't get it, but he did. So I will seek to grow in greater conformity to Christ. To say, here I was apart from him, and here I am positionally redeemed and justified by his blood. That seems so absurd. Shouldn't I have to do something else? Shouldn't I have to work? Shouldn't I? I should have to do more than just believe. You probably should. But that is not how God intended. That is not how God planned it. That even our crying out in faith, even Abraham's believing God is a grace. That this is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to those who believe, it is a grace leading to eternal life. So this fruitfulness, this blessing of the son of Isaac bridges to Jesus. And by association with Jesus, it bridges to us. So three quick application points. We've seen one earlier in our text. Rid yourself of the sin that so easily ensnares us. Sin has consequences. Praise God for His grace in forgiving us of those things. But let us not be like Achan who hides our sins under our sleeping bag in the tent. For our consequences and our sin will find us out. Rid yourself of the sin that so easily ensnares us. Secondly, be a blessing to those who are around you. I won't use the language that I use around my brother in my desire to be a particular kind of Christian and to avoid being a particular other kind of Christian because they're going to be very angry Christians. We probably know some. We probably could scroll through social media and pick them out pretty quickly. Christians are not to be a curse to others. They are to be a blessing. Now, hear me out. When we proclaim a message that to a society feels as though we are heaping a curse on them by saying you are born biologically male or female, this is not fluid, this is fixed by the sovereign God of the universe. You are cursing me. How dare you? How do we reconcile? We realize that that is the understanding of the world. But what we are doing in our truthfulness, we are being a blessing. We don't use pejorative language in speaking to those who are fallen into the transgender or homosexual movement. No, we proclaim the truth of Christ and Him crucified. Beloved, fall on Him. Let me tell you about Jesus. You don't have to vote a certain way or vote a different kind of way. You just have to trust in Jesus and He'll sort the rest out. That life and life eternal springs up from Christ. So brother and sister, be a blessing to those who are around you. Proclaim the gospel. Continue in season and out of season. As Peter tells us to be ready always to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Doing so with gentleness. Rid yourself of the sin that so easily ensnares us. Be a blessing to those around you. And lastly, savor the Savior. That as we think about this promised son in Isaac, we cannot do so disconnected from the rest of Scripture. 
that there is a promised son that is a, uh, will make all nations a blessing. I find it interesting in verse 34 that it says, And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Time and again we see, and the Canaanites were dwelling in this land, and he sojourned in the land of the Philistines. The hope of these things in Christ that even the Philistines, even the Gentiles, even the pagans who worshipped other gods, even you and me, through Christ, Through him, the rejoicing of which Abraham and Sarah experienced at the birth of Isaac was not mundane. It was not kazoos that were haphazardly blown. There was genuine excitement. Recognizing what has taken place, what has transpired, is fully outside of their power and ability to have mustered up Hagar and Ishmael. May our response be similar to the response of Sarah. May we rejoice. May we, when we look back at our former self, laugh. (laughs) I can't tell you how often I do that thinking about what I get to do. (laughs) If there were kids in my, uh, I was homeschooled, so it wasn't a high school, but if there were kids that I associated with in high school that realized that I was pastoring, they'd say, no way! If my speech teacher from elementary school realized that I didn't have a speech impediment anymore and I'm proclaiming the gospel of God, she'd say, that's incredible. No way. What is it for you? What is it for you that through the power of the gospel, you are totally and remarkably different? May we not go through with this mundane... hmm, May we enjoy the reality of what has come to us through Christ. For Sarah doesn't just say, yeah, this is great. She laughs. She is joyful. It wells up within her. And then she says, everybody else who looks at me is going to see something crazy happened here. Now, so as not to disparage those of you who might be in the room saying, my testimony is not of like, yeah, the Lord redeemed me from drug addiction and imprisonment or things like that. There has been a fundamental change of who you are. The truth of the gospel is that through this power of God, you are transformed. The old has passed away, the dead is gone, and you've been made alive. That is a powerful message that in our stony hearts in our barrenness to be able to muster these things up god in christ has done this so we ought to rejoice in the birth of isaac because we know he bridges to a better son A son to whom all authority is given. The son to whom all authority is on his shoulders. The son to whom sits enthroned on high. The son who took on flesh. Lived the perfect life. Laid down his life. 
And as we will point out, was miraculously raised three days later. That those who associate with Him will relinquish the sin that ensnares them, that will be a blessing to the nations, and will savor Him. May we do this today, tomorrow, and forever. Let's pray.